Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read the first part of Acts chapter 1 and the first part of Acts chapter 2. I'd like to read it all, but time doesn't really permit. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And, he, and, and he said, after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. And then suddenly, two men dressed in white stood before him, stood before them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back, much better, will come again in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk, and from the city, when they, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, J John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, J James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. And they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they, they saw what happened to what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. They were, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some over made fun of them and said they had too much wine. And then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, and all who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. 
In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on your servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. Happy New Year. You can say that to one another if you like, although Carl prefers to say it in Polish. Um, it's a new start season, isn't it? It's the time... I've never quite understood why evangelical Christians are so against New Year resolutions. I find in my life I need them. I... That, those are, to have it as a, as a natural occasion where I can take stock and say, David, which ways do I need to radically change and quick? Is that not evangelical? Is that not appropriate? I, I, look, hey, maybe we should make resolutions for each other. <laughs> that would be good, wouldn't it? You know, if, we, if we gave each other's life an audit and they said, right, Pete, this is it, mate, guess what? Hey, in public, hey, if you prefer, can I have it? <laughs> what do you want to see in 2002? <laughs> we, we've just wished everyone a happy new year. What will make you happy in 2002? Huh? Now think on it. But what are your hopes? What, what are your expectations? The problem is, we're such materialists with short-term expectations that when I say to you, what are your expectations for 2002, we're all a blur. Aren't we? Hey, honest now. Isn't there a high level of fog in terms of your expectations for this year? Couldn't you more or less write more of the same underneath? Or maybe God has something more than that. Maybe that's why we need some New Year resolutions, because then at least it would give it some focus. Hey, do you agree? I, 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 I suspect so. And as a church, what are our expectations? Well, it's going to be an important year. New Einan starts in February, and it will be New Einan. So... And there, were, there are new church groups starting in, in this month. So there, there are some important new initiatives and ways in which God is leading us forward in 2002. Now, in order to look at the way forward, um, and, and to, if you like, in many ways, some new beginnings for us, I, I'm going back to the big new beginning that we read in the Acts of the Apostles. Um, I, I, I want to take our minds back to the, the way that it started right. Because there is a sense in which, for the church, every time the church actually has a fresh start, it always goes back to Pentecost. Yeah? That we don't have a new start in a way that's never happened before. The, the seasons in the history of the church <clears throat> when the church really has started to re-engage and, and, and have a new momentum, it is always because the church has gone back to the beginning. 
That's why we're Bible Christians. That's why we can constantly and consistently go back to what is here, because we know that if we go back to basics, if we, go, if we become radical, and radical doesn't mean weird, trendy with green hair. Radical means to go back to your roots, to go back to where it started, to go to the place which states the way where they got it right. Now, if we are going to realize our hopes and expectations in 2002, we're going to go back here, right? The, the, it will be a good year if to a greater or a lesser extent the things that are true here become true here and in the way that I live in 2002. Now, and, and consequently, right the way through January, morning, this morning and tonight, and next week, morning and night, um, we're going to be looking at the Acts of the Apostles. We're going to be looking particularly at what happens when the Spirit of God comes upon a people. We're, we're going to look at our, the, the, our real beginnings, the, this stunning change that happened here from a people who were under old covenant, rule, law, ritual, religion, to a people upon whom the Spirit of God came and it became a question of life and grace and power. Right? The, the day of Pentecost was a stunning occasion. Everything changed for God's people on the day of Pentecost. And I, I, I want us to look at it, look at it in some detail. What is the impact of the Spirit of God to be on my life? What does the Bible say? It might make for a very happy new year for you. Hey, imagine. Imagine if over 2002, the Spirit of God does for me what he did here. Would that make a good year? Happy new year. Breathe in now with that and that. Now, there are two aspects in which I want to look at it, and largely in chapter 2. Uh, we're going to look at some aspects in chapter 1 tonight. But... Uh, there are, there are two aspects, and this is not rocket science. You know this stuff. I just want to explain it and hopefully bring it through in a new way. First of all, a new beginning, and secondly, a new dynamic. Now, the new beginning. There, there was, of course, something clearly promised when the day of Pentecost was concerned. That, uh, you know, that, that Peter refers directly back to the, to the letter of the epistle of the prophecy of Joel, that's better, and that, uh, that, that a day would come in the latter days when God would pour out his Spirit on all people. Old people, young people. Old men, young men. Children, it would imply. And that, uh, that, that the same kind of promise we find in, in Luke's Gospel at the end of Jesus' ministry, and this is what he says, Luke 24, 49, I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. A very specific and personal promise in the scripture from the Lord Jesus. That's how he ended his ministry. If you go right the way back, and we were reminded of it in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4, to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he struck this, well, he didn't strike it, John the Baptist struck the same note. Um, and uh, we read of it in John 1 and in, and in, and in Matthew 4. I, I, John 1, 33. I, I, would, I would not have known, this is John the Baptist, I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain, he, it is he who will baptize 
with the Holy Spirit. So right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, there is this distinctive promise that he is the one who is going to empower individuals with the Spirit. Right at the end of his ministry, you have Jesus himself making the same kind of statement. We then read in Acts chapter 1, um, where, G- where Jesus, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He then, in verse 8, um, they, they start to talk about prophetic things. He brings it back down to earth, into the here and now. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you, as a consequence, will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. And these are the promises. It's it's very interesting that then when Peter starts to preach on the day of Pentecost, he he continues to repeat promises. He starts, of course, by quoting Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Now, I have to put myself in that. I will pour out my Spirit on all people. He, he, he then becomes even more particular. We didn't read it. But if you turn over to the second half of Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter's invitation, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we should have read prior to that, verse 33, that Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out on you what we now see and hear. So here we have a, a significant event in the life of the church, the day of Pentecost. It is, a, it is a, an outpouring, a baptism of the Spirit promised from centuries past, restated by Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, and the end of his ministry, and then Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God is poured out, says that this is not just for here and now, this is for you and your children, like um, Joel said, but then in in verse 33, he says that Jesus will be exalted to the right hand of the Father, and that the promised Holy Spirit has been poured out, uh, what you now see and hear, and projecting it forward. So here is the promise of the Father, as the phrase is used there. Initiating a a new day. I I don't think we can understate this. I think it has some relevance for us in the way we live as Christians. See, the old order was Old Testament. Now, just just blank your mind for a minute. Some of you, it's not very difficult. Um, Just just imagine for a moment that you, you you, you, you don't know about what happened at the day of Pentecost. And you are still in the days of John the Baptist, say. And the temple is still there. And the sacrifices are going on. And the rabbis are still there giving you, you know, the 365 laws and rules. And the whole framework of how you are a child of God is set within a system of ritual and order and rule and law. Yes? And it's a bit dusty. It's a bit deadening. It's a bit routine. And then you're there on the day of Pentecost, and there's a sound like a rushing of wind from heaven. I wonder, hey, if only they'd had their, video, their, their tape recorders running, or their video, that would be even better. Yeah? And, and, and tongues like fire 
like fire, come and settle on the heads of the people. That, that they are filled with the Spirit. They start to speak in languages they've never, they've never learned. Wouldn't, hey, you Welsh people, wouldn't it be, isn't that your dream? That you just wake up yakking it? Hey, come on, be honest. Well, it happened to all of these languages. They started to speak in the, the praise of God in languages they'd never learned. And, and this, well, they were so overwhelmed, the people looking on said, these people are drunk out of their minds. So they weren't standing there in a straight row being religious. These people had come under the influence of the power of God. Yeah? So that Peter had to say, they're not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is to fulfill what Joel said, in the latter days, I will pour out my spirit. Now, that these are our beginnings. Hey, these are our beginnings. This is where we're at. This is what it means now to be a Christian. The, the, these are our credentials. These are our minimum. Yeah? You're looking like a bunch of Baptists. John the Baptist. No, no, we've moved on from John the Baptist. Pentecost has come. This is how it all started for us. This is the dynamic. This is the movement of the Spirit that we are in. Now, there are those that go, well, oh, hang on, David. That was Pentecost. This is now. Now the twain shall meet. There are those who say, well, of course, this is anecdotal. I'm not quite sure what they mean by that. But basically what they say is, well, the Acts of the Apostles are very interesting. Of course, it, that it was a unique time. Well, in a sense, yes. But what they mean is that this is an unrepeatable time. It, it's, it's got nothing to do with you and I. It was a kind of one-off. God really enjoyed himself had a party, and then closed it down, and what we've got is what is left. I find that interpretation of Scripture not only disappointing, I also find it dangerous. If the Acts of the Apostles is not there to set a marker for our doctrine and our experience, why is it there? What is the point of having 20-odd chapters that tell me about the powerful movements of God if it's got nothing to do with me. Now, is that not being like the liberals are of going through and cutting out the pages of the Bible that don't fit with my experience? That's the danger. Now, hey, my, I, I, I'm going to make a confession. It's good for me. You'll love it, right? My experience isn't up to this. And I'm one of those who, who, who can take you back to occasions when I've known the fullness of the Spirit. There was an occasion when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and I spoke in tongues. But hey, my experience isn't up to this. I haven't seen in my life all that is recorded in the Acts of the Apostles. But that's why it's recorded. It, it's taking me back to my beginnings. It's drawing me back to the place where God started it and set a benchmark that the people of God... Are, in terms of their inheritance and their expression, the way it's meant to be. Do you believe that? Look, let, let's make some theological choices. Now, is that true? Or are the Acts of the Apostles anecdotal, one-off, and not there for setting doctrine and practice? You've got a very simple choice. 
If you believe that it's anecdotal and is not there as relevant directionally for us as a church and Christians today, well, you can more or less cut it out. Don't let anybody see you do that. Maybe stick the pages together, because it's not relevant. But hey, if it is relevant, if it is the benchmark, if it is the way that all Christians and churches start again fresh in order to see God do a new thing in their day, it is very, very important that we take it very, very seriously. That That's the choice we must make, I suspect. And it's called a baptism. Baptism is an interesting word. Um, I suppose it's a little bit like what happens here, oftentimes. But it, it, it's the word that you would use. You know when you're washing up, Pete? <laughs> so, I'm going to talk to your daughter. You know, you know when you're washing up, and you put the dishcloth in the soapy water, right? That you do know. You're nodding like it's like an experienced hand here. <laughs> that there's a sense in which the dishcloth is in the soapy water, but there's also a sense in which the soapy water is in the dishcloth. Because it's immersed, but it's, it's also infilled. Now, that's the kind of word that is used here for baptism. It, it carries a sense of plunge, immerse, overwhelm. Now, here is Jesus and the prophet Joel and and Peter talking about a baptism in the Spirit. A time when the Spirit of God will come individually, and I want to look at that tonight and over the coming weeks, to us individually, and a time when the Spirit of God will come corporately with a sense of overwhelm, of baptism. Do you know, church history is littered, littered with the occasions when there was a corporate baptism of the Spirit of God's people. The, the most interesting periods of church history to read are, are these periods. You can, there's a, 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 I was scanning my shelves, there's a, a book currently in print called The Korean Pentecost, because of what God has done in South Korea in our day. Churches were in the tens and hundreds of thousands of members. Astonishing. Where does it go back to? It goes back to an outpouring of the Spirit. That uh, if you go back to the Methodist, uh, Methodist movement, where did it go back to? It went back to Fetter Lane, an outpouring of the Spirit. Or even more, it went back to the Moravians. I even had a date, oh, that's tonight. The, it, 1727, I think. Um, it, to, a, a group in a, of, of refugees in Bavaria, living on the grounds of a count who was, not, who was going to give them some kind of refuge, not kick them out. And they were a people. There weren't many of them. They were being gathered from various nations through persecution. And they, were, they started to seek God and pray. And there was the Moravian Pentecost. They started a prayer meeting at that point, And the prayer meeting was continuous for a hundred years. And they started sending, as a result of the Pentecost, they started sending missionaries to the known world. They put missionaries in North America and North Africa and into India before most of Europe knew those places existed. Why? Well, because there was a Pentecost. And there have been Pentecost. We call them revival, I suppose. But they're hugely important. Now, again here, we have to make some theological choices. Now, I have the, the highest respect for John Stott. 
His commentaries are magnificent. If you're doing a Bible study and you, you want to have a book that will greatly help you understand the text, the Bible Speaks Today series are excellent, excellent commentaries. Yeah? But on this point, I have to differ with John Stott. Because John Stott says that baptism in the Spirit was just a one-off event then. It's unrepeatable. The, 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 this, this empowering, this coming upon, this infusion of the Spirit only relates to the day of Pentecost. That God gave all that he had then, and ever since, well, we've had it all. Well, I have to say, like Martin Lloyd-Jones says, if you've got it all, where is it? Sorry, Pete, but the doctor was right yet again. That actually, baptism is the word that the New Testament uses. It is not just used. Baptism in the Spirit is not just used in the day of Pentecost. It's used in Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 10, there was the incident in Cornelius' household. Remember the Cornelius' household? We'll be looking at it over the years. And Peter had this dream about this 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 blanket coming down with all unclean animals in. And the Spirit of God spoke to him and said, go to such and such a... There are people coming who are going to take you to this such and such a... He went to the house of Cornelius. And like, like, a, like a good preacher, he started preaching to them. And halfway through preaching to them, they must have come to faith. God must have prepared their hearts because the Spirit of God fell on them. And Peter's comment is that they were baptized in the Spirit like we were at the beginning. Now, the point I'm making, first of all, is that this new beginning is all about a baptism, a series of baptism, a promise dynamic. Now, again, just let me wander here a minute. Try and follow me. I know it's difficult, but hey. What happens in the church if we neglect a clear emphasis on baptism in the Spirit? What happens? Well, what happens is we go back to Old Testament religion. We, be, we, we go back to being formalists. We go back to being legalists. We go back to matters of observance and attendance and rules and regulations. The evangelical church is absolutely cluttered with it. It's become an epidemic. Now, why is that? Why? Because we have taken out the reality and the expectation that the Spirit of God has promised to come and fall on me. It, it is my birthright. It is my inheritance. The, the New Testament gives clear, unmistakable promises to the corporate body of Christ, to the church in Wales in our day, like Pete led us in worship, that uh, this might be the year. Amen. Let it be. But also for my life, there is an enduing of the Spirit. The, the Spirit of God has been promised to come and clothe himself with me. Hey? Now, I, we, I want to look at the incidents through the Acts of the Apostles tonight and in the weeks ahead so that we get a very, very clear view of what the Bible speaks of in terms of the promised Holy Spirit. But hey, we're charismatic. Sorry. So we're all right, aren't we? We're not like those dead evangelicals. We don't sing hymns, we sing choruses. We don't stand there being serious. We stand, we stand here talking all the time and smiling. Um, we, we're not Pentecostals because Pentecostals clap. No, we're, not, we're charismatic, so we put our hands in there. <clears throat> is that all it is? Is that all it is? You see, I'm old enough to remember 
the, the, the early days of the charismatic movement. And it wasn't about style then. It wasn't about whether we are happy clappy. There were people moving powerfully in the things of the Spirit that didn't like this new song stuff, they just stayed with the hymns. It, It wasn't a question of style, it was a question of power in the early days. Whether I'm a charismatic or not was not whether I'm a kind of happy, skippy kind of person. Whether I come to Rubina and we kind of sing off an overhead projector instead of going to the Heath where they sing off a hymn book. It wasn't a question of that. It was a question of whether the Spirit of God had genuinely come upon me in power. That was a charismatic. I don't know when we lost that idea, but it's gone, long gone. The, the idea that, well, you know, we, we, I'm into that sort of thing. That I can smile when I sing. That's got nothing to do with it. Pentecost, baptism in the Spirit, is all about the genuine, credible anointing of the Spirit on my life. It's about making me holy. It's about making me effective. Pete only read half the verse about leading us in tribe. The second half of the verse is out from you for there to be a fragrance of life to spread the knowledge of God everywhere. Hallelujah. That's Pentecost. That's meant to be the intent of that. It's to set God's people on fire. Please, charismatic, and it's almost a banned word in my mind, because it just means people that are off their trolley. Just weird. If you're charismatic, anything goes. If you have an experience, if your fingers tingle, somehow that is God. I am awfully sorry. But here defines what is God. This is where this is, this is the point of reference. And here, here we read about people who have a personal baptism in the Spirit, where there are extraordinary experiences of power, where people prophesy, even children, even your daughters. Hey, think of that. Even your daughters prophesy. That that's charismatic. I'm not too fussed about the rest of it, if I can be honest. The idea that we've got to be trendy and actually being being hip so that the world will like us has got nothing to do with Acts 2. That's not how the church has grown over centuries past. Here I do have the advantage. I have read a fair amount of church history. It's not been that that's actually led the church to be renewed. It's the coming of the Spirit of God that has renewed the church. And I, when we first went to Kevin Cribor, and the Olive Branch still sells the book, Revival's Children, if you haven't bought it yet, well, it's sure, Sharon would love to get you a copy. Um, but th- there was an elderly man, Thomas Hopkin Thomas Tenakaya. Now, he, he was an elder. He was a bit odd, like elders tend to be. But his preoccupation was this. He, he had a preoccupation with God. He, he'd been brought up in the forward movement in the days of, and, and, and been under Martin Lloyd-Jones' ministry and been in prayer meetings with people converted in 1904. And to him, the, the coming of the Spirit was a very, very personal and powerful thing. Uh, the reason I'm saying this is that we have to rediscover that reality. It isn't enough that we are simply adjusting style. We have to adjust to power in the gallery. 
including John Rees. A new beginning. But then, a new dynamic. I'll I'll be as quick as I can. It It wasn't just an experience that happened here. It wasn't, and baptism in the Spirit is hugely important. I cannot explain what God has done in my Christian life. Becoming a Christian was the most important. The second most important was when the Spirit of God came and clothed himself on me. I cannot explain what God has done in my life by minimizing. People say, oh, well, you know, just call it filling. Just, just, just put a kind of gradual, uh, not quite sure whether it's happened or not, but hey, how we'll, take, we'll, we'll hope for the best. No, no, no. It, there, there is a baptism of the Spirit. But it isn't just that. The baptism in the Spirit, in the Acts of the Apostles, produced a completely different way of being God's people. There was a dynamic here. There's a realm and a dimension. And, and Peter talks about it in the verses of a personal presence of God. The people that were listening came under conviction of sin because of the presence of God. They, they came to faith in very, very large numbers because of the presence of God. But more than that, now, just let me take you on a little walk through the Bible and just, we- just measure your own life and expectation for 2002 against this. That in, in Acts chapter 8, you have Philip. Remember the chap who went up to the chariot, the Ethiopian eunuch, that cha- that, Philip. The Holy Spirit said to him, go up. The Holy Spirit spoke to him. How do you get on with that? Do you remember in Acts chapter 13 when the Paul and, and the, the leaders in Ephesus were, 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 were worshipping the Lord and fasting? And the Holy Spirit said, Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas to the work to which I've called them. There's a, a lovely reference in Acts chapter 15. It's the Council of Jerusalem when they were talking about the place of the law and, and, and circumcision, verse 28. And, and Peter says, it seemed right to the Holy Spirit and to us. <laughs> but a conversation had gone on. Peter and the Spirit of God had just kind of talked it over a bit. It seemed right to the Holy Spirit and to us not to lay further restrictions upon you. That in Acts 20, verse 28, about the elders at, at Ephesus, that, whom the Holy Spirit has set, that the elders, whom the Holy Spirit has set over you as overseer. Holy Spirit sets elders. He, he's, he's involved in that as well, we're told. Then in chapter 1 and verse 8, which we read, he is empowering. Chapter 6 and verse 10, it's a, a Peter speaking that he was inspired by the Spirit. Hey, how do you like this one? That uh, after Philip has gone up to the Ethiopia, he's caught away by the Spirit and ends up in Azotus. How do you do that? Has that happened to you? Sometimes I'm driving, I wondered how I got to where I got to, but that's not quite the same thing. Remember the... the, the, the again, well, let me read you in Peter... While Peter was still thinking about the vision, this is in Joppa, uh, on the house of Simon the Tanner, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go to them, for I send them. Simon, the Spirit of God was talking to him. How unusual. And this is how Peter talks about it in Acts eleven twelve. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. 
Do you understand what I'm trying to say? I'm, I'm bringing out these references. Let me read some more. Paul, think, oh, well, I think we'll go into Bithynia. And what did the Spirit of God say? No, you won't. No, you're not going in there. Go over there. Oh, right. See, baptism in the Spirit wasn't an experience. It was a realm. It was a relationship. It was a form of communication with God through the Spirit. I have never understood. I have great concern about people that say, I can't... I was talking to one of the people translating Bob Deeth Gudayesi, every day with Jesus into Welsh. And at the end of it, there was a prayer to the Holy Spirit. He said, I can't translate that. I said, why not? He said, you can't pray to the Holy Spirit. I said, why not? Well, there's nowhere in the Bible that says you can. Excuse me? What was happening in the Acts of the Apostles? When, 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 when the Spirit of God said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas, says, oh, all right, oh, I can't talk to you. Um, was there communication or not? What relationship can I have with God if I am not in relationship with the Spirit of God? I, I would be lost, to be honest. That my, He walks with me. He talks with me. Now, we, there is one God in three persons. We don't believe in three gods. We believe in, God, in, three, in one God who... who where there are three persons that we relate to, but we relate to them all. The church in, in, in the UK has suffered greatly by depersonalizing the Holy Spirit. He is co-equal with the Father and the Son. He is the eternal Spirit. He is the Lord. The Lord is the Spirit. He is God just as much as the Father and the Son. Now, this might, you think, this is heavy theology, but hey, this will affect the way that you relate to God. What are the consequences of the church in Wales so strongly marginalizing the Holy Spirit? So that actually, we, I talk, some of the pastors that I relate to, I speak of the Holy Spirit and they get embarrassed. As if somehow the Holy Spirit isn't safe. Not safe. He's God, man. Sorry. <coughs> Do you? Uh... You see, if we exclude him, if we depersonalize him, if we dishonor him, there's great weight in the words of Jesus that sins, if you, if you blaspheme me, you'll be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. There's great weight there. That's telling me a lot about the honor that I must attribute to the Spirit of God. That does not tell me to ignore him. That tells me to treat him with honor like the Father and the Son. Now, well, who do you pray to? Do you pray to the Father or the Son? Well, hey, I pray to God. But... Depending on the circumstance, I may address the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit, because there is but one God. I, I, Christian, do not ignore the Spirit of God. Do not rule out of your life the prospect of being in relationship with the Spirit of God. Being in communication. Ha having a conversation. Because through the Acts of the Apostles, there are conversations with the Spirit time and time and time again. And it, it helped to cultivate a walk in the Spirit, a fellowship in the Spirit, an openness, an ear to the Spirit of God. 
Something missing in the church? See, one of the problems is, and I'm nearly done, one of the problems is, when we start to talk about the Holy Spirit, we get incredibly subjective. Yeah? And we, well, my experience is, oh, frankly, I couldn't give a monkey's what your experience is. <clears throat> what does it say? What is the promise? What, look, and we, again, we, we, we can be in danger of being anecdotal. And we hear of somebody having testimony. And maybe Toronto really phased you here. You think, well, <clears throat> that the Holy Spirit is all about barking like a dog. Or crowing like a cockerel. Or falling over backwards, because not forwards. Or no, it should be forwards and not back. No, excuse me. When the, when the power of God comes upon a people, my physical frame sometimes can't cope, quite cope with the power of God. And I may faint. I'm not being spiritual when I faint. It's just that the blood supply didn't quite reach my brain as normal. Can't find my brain. <laughs> that, that is not the criteria. The criteria is what happened between the people of God and the Spirit of God in the Bible. What, what is the narrative? Going back to the question at the beginning. Is this a one-off that I can rule out? Or is this a pattern that I have to seek God for? Please, Christian. Rubina Baptist Church will lock into Old Testament. We will become very good at our routines and our rituals. We will become ever so faithful in our service. We will become so ever so ordered in our religion unless the Spirit of God comes on us and breathes life. That's Christianity. That's how it all started in the beginning. And I, I'm not going to prescribe whether that's going to mean we sing off and over and over. That's a matter of convenience, isn't it? There's nothing spiritual about that. It's just not big enough. Roger. <clears throat> Happy New Year. <clears throat> Happy New Year. I, I suggest you make some resolutions. If Tozer was right, and a man has as much of the Holy Spirit as he really wants, if Tozer was right, then I have to make some resolutions. I, I have to come freshly to this book and say, dear God, I want all that's written here. T tell me, do you, do you think all that's written here is available to me? <coughs> Advise me for a minute here now. Uh, am I right for seeking God? And whether or not he comes with, with like a tongue of fire on my head, it wouldn't be much to burn, with the, but <clears throat> do you know what I mean? That there, are, there are some aspects which are circumstances. I'm, I'm talking, and I, I don't even mind that. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? When I'm preaching, you wouldn't be listening to a word I'm saying. When Stephen Jeffries was preaching in Clanetley, the, the face of a lamb appeared on the wall and it was still there the morning afterwards. Do you know that? Then the revival mo moved out in Island Place in Clanetley. It hasn't moved there since, but hey. It's RBC's greatest need. And Einan too. I have some fears that we will start Iden by reproducing patterns. It's not, re it's not patterns that Iden needs, it's power that Iden needs. <coughs> Nothing else. That's our birthright. That's how we started. That's what Pentecost is about. That's what being a Christian is. That's how church is meant to happen. 
not like a pharisaical temple, as it was in the day of Pentecost. God rending the heavens. That's why we're going to have a week of prayer the week after next. That's why. Because we're saying, dear God, if you don't come down, we've had it. That's why I will be here. My one at Pete will be here. You'll be here tomorrow night at 8 o'clock, won't you, Pete? Good man. Right. So Pete and I will be here to pray for Wales and for revival. Why? Because I want the rain from heaven to come down. If you want to, if you want to know what will make me, you know, Happy New Year, David. Do you want to know what will make it a Happy New? Year? That that's what my longing for 2002, that we might see a manifestation of the Spirit of God here in Rubina, and that will if, that will ripple out widely. Wouldn't that be magnificent? Is that worth praying for? Just for me. But just a word of reassurance here. Just so that you don't think, oh, hey, that, that's like rocket science. I'm here, and that's all over there. I'm nowhere near that. Let me just reassure you for a minute. It's the same spirit who has treated you so well all the years that you've known the Lord. He's the same spirit who convicted you of your sin and made you want to become a Christian in the first place. He, he, he's the same spirit who revealed the Lord Jesus to you, brought you to new life in Christ. Same spirit. He's the same spirit who's been comforting you, encouraging you, inspiring you, speaking to you, indwelling you all your years. He just wants to come in fullness, more and more, with a dynamic.